Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. That's Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Thanks so much to the worship team. That was really, really good. Um, so good to be able to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and uh, we just have a, a God who is alive, a man who, who speaks to us daily, who, who's, while His Word, at least the New Testament, was written over two, uh, just under 2,000 years ago, it speaks, He still speaks through it, and He speaks to us. And so we're going to be looking at a passage this morning if some of you have already turned there, you might have seen what it is um, that is very familiar to most of us. Uh, we've uh, either read it ourselves, and if you're not a church person, this may be your first time here. It's probably a story that you've heard of um, and you've heard about. But the m- amazing part about it is that though wide might be so familiar to us, God is still going to be able to use it and impact our lives. And I was just amazed with um, what Kath had to share during worship. It was just so in line with uh, what we have um, this morning as well. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 8, verses 23 to 27, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So if it's a little different to yours, don't panic. I'm sure you'll be able to follow. It goes as follows, and this is talking about Jesus here. And when he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid, are you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful that we are able to come and be in your presence We're so thankful, Lord, that we can just praise an awesome God like you are, to be able to uh, just look at you, focus our eyes on you, and know that you are great and mighty. And as we got to sing of your great love for us as well, that you came and you died for us, you rose again so that we might know you. And I pray, Lord, that that would be the case this morning, that as we dive into your word, we would know more of who this Jesus is. Lord, when you speak, something happens. We see this in the passage we've just read. The great storm can turn into a great peace. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak powerfully again this morning to us. Lord, all my words, will you please let them fall on deaf ears, but may your words go forth and achieve the purpose in which you've sent it. We ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus and his disciples have just finished an extremely busy day worth of ministry. Jesus has just healed tons of uh, people. He's just been teaching. Um, and at the end of a long, busy day, he's so exhausted that when they climb into the boat to cross from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, Jesus runs to the back of the boat and has a nap. He's that tired. And he leaves his, um, he leaves his life and he leaves um, the duty of getting from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other in the hands, in the capable hands of the disciples, where most of them were fishermen. And so as they're crossing um, from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, a great storm picks up and comes out of nowhere. Now, this is quite common 
on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. And so what happens is when hot air, and there was hot, uh, the hot air would start to rise over the sea. And because it was so far down and there would be these steep valleys coming to the sea, there would also, there would this uh, wind would start to come down. The cold air would start to filter in the gap that the hot air left behind. Does that make sense? And so you can be on the sea, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a great storm can pick up. Just the winds would come in, the waves would be big, and you'd be caught off guard. And this seems to happen here in, uh, in the Bible as well, in this particular case. But the storm that comes is not just an average storm that would happen on the Sea of Galilee. It was a particularly big one. This is for one of two reasons that we see it. Firstly, the Bible says it was great. But secondly, we see that um, there was, the waves and the storm were so big that the disciples, were, most of them were fishermen, who had grown up from a young age, would have been... Uh, on the boats with their fathers, learning how to uh, fish and how to control these boats, would have been in storms just like this one before, who have the experience of being able to maneuver through storms like this, they find themselves in such a situation that their own skills and expertise can't help them. They are so desperate that they run to the teacher at the back of the boat, and they wake him up and say, Lord, save us. We are perishing. And Jesus, waking up from his nap, wakes up, looks at them, says to them, why are you so afraid if you have little faith? Stands up, and as we see in the accounts of Mark, when Mark tells the story in his gospel, Jesus says, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves obey him. And they die down, and there's this great calm. And the disciples seeing this for the first time, seeing a new Jesus, in which they hadn't quite seen before, step back amazed and in awe of who this Jesus is, and they ask this question, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the question that Matthew finds so important. Matthew wants us to each each and every single one of us ask this question and come to an answer. What sort of man is this? Who is this Jesus? Such an important question for us to ask. We see that Jesus finds this important as well. In his statement, in his rebuke to the disciples. Why are you so afraid, are you of little faith? Faith in what? Faith in who Jesus is. And so when Jesus talks about little faith here, he's not necessarily talking about a size of faith. Not, not, not the quantity of it. But rather what Jesus is talking about is a quality of faith. We see this in Matthew 17, verse 20. When Jesus talking about faith, says it was a faith as the size of a mustard seed, right? It's small. It's, it's not the size that matters, but rather the quality of the faith that matters. And so Jesus proposes something important for us in the statement that he makes. He, 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 makes a, he proposes that a good quality faith is a faith that is able to withstand fear. Or a, a poor quality faith is one that is easily driven out by fear. We see that in that statement. Why are you so afraid, are you of little faith? And so we see this with the disciples, that they have some form of faith, don't they? I mean, things are going bad. What do they do? They run to Jesus at the back of the boat. Lord, save us. We are perishing. But we see the poor quality in their faith, in the, in the poor quality of their faith in who Jesus is in the exclamation at the end. 
when they step back and go, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? But maybe this morning we can just give the disciples a bit of leeway here, can't we? If we just think about our own prayers, we, we run to God, we, we cry out for help. Our theology is one that we believe that God is a, a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God who's able to use all situations for uh, our good and His glory. And yet when God comes to the party and answers our prayers, we step back and we're amazed. can't believe God did that. I can't believe God would be able to do that for us. Alyssa and I found ourselves in a, a similar situation this year. Um, some of you might know the story, but uh, at Easter period, Alyssa and I went off to go visit her folks up in Durban. And we went and um, we visited them. It was a fantastic time up there. Uh, but I've got cousins up there as well. And Alyssa's got friends that are friends with my cousins. It's a very small world. And so we decided we'll get them all together and we will have a nice supper together. And so we got together, we headed off, uh, we flew up, so we took my mother-in-law's car, and we headed off, and when we arrived, Alyssa and I got outside the car, and uh, three men with uh, guns ran at us, and they hijacked us, and um, they took my mother-in-law's car, they took all our possessions, they took um, everything. Uh, the, besides for Alyssa's watch, apparently it wasn't cool enough. Um, uh, but they took everything else. And so, uh, that was great. God was good. We weren't harmed. We weren't hurt. I had a little scratch on my back from lying on the tar, but that was it. And when we came back to East London, uh, we now had to replace everything. And uh, part of that was IDs and driver's license. Now that we have the ID cards, right, what do we do? We keep them in our wallets. When we had the ID books, what do we do? We never carried that around with us. And so I had to go replace all of that and Alyssa as well and all the temps and IDs and all that, just that kind of stuff. Um, and sitting in home affairs, which was just as bad, um, was about 1,500 rand for us, roughly around about there. And so we have insurance and uh, through my, my mom and uh, et cetera, and we thought, well, you know, this is a bit of a, a tricky situation. We were in Derbs driving my mother-in-law's car, so we're not too sure how this works, and you know how insurances are, right? And so we got hold of them, and we said, well, give it a go. And we got hold of them, and they're like, yeah, we'll send through your papers, and we'll see what we can do. doesn't sound very hopeful, right? And so we did. We went to got quotes, and we did everything, and we sent through all our receipts, to them, and we kind of just said, Lord, if we could get a couple of hundred bucks, man, if we could pay for our drivers and our IDs, if we could just cover that cost, Lord, that would be great. And we didn't hear anything for about three, uh, three weeks, and we got an SMS back, and they said we had covered pretty much everything, borrowing a couple of hundred rand. And we, listen, I kind of stood back and, and went, what sort of man is this that even insurance companies listen to him? <laughs> <laughs> but the deficiency in our faith, church, is not so much that we have a poor expectation of what this God can do, but rather the deficiency in our faith is more that we have a poor understanding of who this God is. Does that make sense? Hugely important for us. It's not what He can do, but rather who He is. We see this with the disciples. Man, if, if they understood who Jesus truly was, if they were able to lay aside the traditions of the day that they thought the Messiah was going to look like this and that, if they truly knew who Jesus was, then surely they would have known that this heavenly sent Redeemer who was coming to die for the sins of the world would not be able to be snuffed out on a little storm that day on the Sea of Galilee. Surely if they had understood that this Jesus was the agent of all creation, that he made it all, that he holds it all together, 
that that creation could not stop his plan and take his life. But they hadn't quite got that yet. They didn't understand quite yet who this Jesus was. And so this is hugely important here. Faith is most secure, most stable, when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not what action this Jesus will take, nor what promise he has made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who this Jesus is. Let me say that all again, one more time, because it's that important. Faith is most secure when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know not what action he's going to take, not what promise he has made for this or that situation, as much as it needs to know who he is. Because if we have a poor understanding of who this Jesus is, then we can never trust his promises. We will never trust his, um, that he is going to come through through the action because we don't quite get who he is. When we get who he is, man, then we can just leave the action up to him. Then we can trust that his promises are coming true because we have a good understanding of who he is. But may I suggest this morning that the disciples would have never known this aspect of Jesus that he is the ruler of storms if they weren't with him in that boat that day. Man, they they might have been taught it, they might have seen aspects of it, but they would have never truly understood as much as they now do that Jesus is able to calm the storms, that he is the agent of creation, that creation listens to him if they weren't with him in that boat that day. Alyssa and I um, have been married now for two years and four months-ish. Yeah. Round about there. And um, when we first got married, uh, I, we didn't have much money. Financially, we, we struggled quite a bit. Alyssa is an occupational therapist, which sounds great, but she was working um, in private practice, which uh, is commission-based. And so when your clients cancel you on the last minute, you don't get paid. Some of you might work in a similar kind of uh, environment. And uh, particularly school holidays, when you're working with kids, Parents just don't like taking the kids to OT on at school holiday. So income was really, really bad, particularly for January and, uh, and December, that period. Very uh, bad. And I was an intern, so I was earning very little. Um, Mark knows how I feel. Um, and so earning very little, and it meant that we pretty much every single month struggled financially. And I remember our first month, Alyssa had taken three weeks off one week before the wedding and about two weeks for honeymoon and wedding. And um, so, man, we really had nothing in our first month of marriage. And I remember it was the first month kind of area, and we were sitting down at our little square table that we had with two chairs. One was an office chair, and one was an old green wooden chair. Uh, that's all we owned. And we were sitting down, and we had to pray. We had barely any food left in the fridge, barely left, uh, any money left in the bank account, but so much month left. It happened like that all the time. And we had to just ask God, God, you have to come through for us. Man, you have to provide. We've got nothing, particularly as a young man who's just married. I need to provide for my wife. And we prayed, prayer, and, and we just left it in God's hand. And the next day, I remember coming home and walked up to the sliding door that we have at our flat. And as I was unlocking it, I could see the reflection of my landlord behind me. And uh, I turned around, and she was standing there. And she said, Joe, we've just defrosted our whole deep freeze. We've got way too much meat. Would you like some steak? I said, thank you very much. Took it inside. 
closed the door and cried like a little girl. <laughs> tears, lots of tears. But church, there were so many of those 18 months until I, she got a, a more secure job and until I got an increase that God came through for us each and every single month. From someone providing for us because we couldn't get our car serviced or fixed, someone paying for that, to Mark Kukumu giving us 60 eggs one month. Man, we ate a lot of eggs that month. <laughs> to someone dropping off um, an envelope with, with money in it, just with my name, having no idea who it was. But, and I don't know if they knew my situation, but they came through. To someone saying, open up your boot, Joe. Going, why? No, I've dinged your car. I'm going, oh my word. Go and look. And I opened up my boot. It wasn't dinged. And he put a gro- box of uh, groceries in the back. Not knowing my situation. Just thought that God said he must do it. And man, it wasn't always glamorous. Sometimes we got vegetables that were kind of turning. But God fed us. And now I know without a shadow of a doubt that God is our provider. That he will provide Hey, listen, I find ourselves in a similar situation again. And my family's sitting here, so I can't lie to you. There are moments that I am anxious. But the moments that I am anxious, church, is when I take my eyes off who Jesus is. And like Kath read this morning, I start to look at the storm around me. But then I've started singing the song over the last week or so. It's a very old hymn. You might know it. I'm not going to sing. I'm going to spare you that. I'm just going to say the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face and all the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And when we do that, when we fix our eyes on this Jesus, our faith is more secure. And may I boldly suggest this morning, and I don't want to belittle your situation that you're going through. Man, some of you are going through situations that I have not experienced in my 26 years of life. But these unique storms that you are going through, no matter how tough they are, these unique storms that you are going through give you unique opportunities to know Jesus in a unique way. To get to see him in a way in which you had never seen him before. To be able to have your faith secure in a way it has never been secure before. It was like that with Alyssa and I when we hijacked. I had nobody else that had gone through that experience. I now know a lot because people share that with you once you have gone through it. But it was this unique way to know that God is our protector. To know him in a way I did not know. And then Bachelor Joey, before we got married, knew in his head that God was our provider. Knew it. Theological student. Of course, I studied that. But I promise you, church, it didn't really filter properly from head until heart until I had gone through it. And these unique opportunities give to you a unique opportunity to get to know this Jesus more. And man, life brings storms, right? It brings it. Being a Christian does not mean you don't go through storms. Life brings storms. You're going to go through them. You may as well make sure that you use these storms. That you come out with a faith that's more solidified. With knowing this Jesus more often. What a waste it will be that you have to go through these torrid, awful storms that is fear and scary and come out worse or or just the same. But let's come out knowing this Jesus better. And there's a strange peace that comes when your eyes are secure on Jesus. Fixed on him. A faith that is secure, there's this peace. Yes, the storms are going. But the beauty of Christianity, it brings that peace in which you wouldn't have when you're looking around you and not on Jesus. So let's seek out who this Jesus is. So if knowing who Jesus is helps solidify our faith a little more, 
we're fortunate enough today to see a part of this passage where it teaches us two major aspects of who Christ is. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at these two major sections of them and hopefully it will stir in us a bit of faith, solidify our faith a little more. And we, so the first two things that we see here is when if you had to study theology and you had to study Christology, the study of Jesus, you would, one of the two major categories in which you could break it up into is the study of, uh, when the study of Jesus is that Jesus is man and that Jesus is God. Jesus is fully man and Jesus is fully God. It's a paradox. It's one of the things of theology. We don't always understand it fully, but we, we see that particularly in this passage. Besides for the, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, I don't know of a passage that shows the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ as much as this one does. And we see that in the story, right? That Jesus is a man. He struggled after a busy day with the work. Jesus wasn't immune. He didn't spend a whole bunch of energy doing a whole bunch of things. His disciples are exhausted and having to take a nap. And he was like a Jerusalem bunny running around. Jesus was tired. Man, Jesus was probably so tired that when he climbed into this boat and went to bed and those waves are breaking into the boat, swamping the boat, that Jesus was probably getting wet, but yet he still slept. And when the fishermen were shouting instruction to the other tax collectors and the other ones that didn't know what they're doing, do this, do that, turn here, put the oar in over here. No, you're doing it wrong. Make sure it's like this. As they tried to swing around the boat and the chaos is going around that Jesus still was sleeping. And when Jesus did get woken up, if he's anything like me, after getting woken up from a nap, he felt like a bus hit him. And so as he woke up in this state, tells the disciples that they've got little faith, but is it, is, yet is able to stand in that human state and say, peace, be still. And the full deity of God is shown in that moment. That he is able in that human state, yet the fullness of God comes through, that he is able to command the wind and the waves and they listen to him. So why is it so important that Jesus is human like us? It's important because it helps us to understand that Jesus understands what we're going through. Man, it's, Jesus doesn't just understand what we're going through because he is all-knowing. Yes, he is all-knowing. But he understands what we're going through because he was like us and experienced the hardships of like, life uh, like we have. Man, are you poor and needy? And you struggling financially? Jesus gets this. It, just in the previous section, Jesus talks to a young scribe that comes to him and says to him, Oh Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, making checking that he understands what he is saying. Jesus says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus says, I don't have a home. Jesus' whole earthly ministry consisted of him preaching on borrowed boats. When he um, uh, rode in his triumphal entry, into Jerusalem, he came in on a borrowed colt and donkey. Jesus, when he died, he was not buried in his own tomb, was buried in a borrowed tomb. Man, are you struggling financially? Look to Christ. He understands. He experienced it himself to lack and not have much. Do you uh, feel alone and neglected by those who should love you? Oh man, Jesus gets this. Jesus, the creator of all people, was uh, rejected by all people. He called himself the God of Israel, his people. He called them his people. And yet when he arrived, his people rejected him. 
And out of all the people who would eventually follow him, he gets a tax collector, a couple of fishermen and sinners who were the lowest of the low. And out of those 12 who would follow him, one of them would betray him and the other 11 will abandon him in his darkest hour. Are you feeling alone, neglected by those who should love you and just don't? Man, Christ gets it. Look to our Savior, church. He understands that. Do you feel misrepresented, rebuked, or persecuted, slandered that you should not? Jesus gets this. He was called a glutton. He was called a friend of sinners. He was called a drunkard, a madman, a devil, a Samaritan. Man, at his trial, people would stand up and falsely accuse him, saying that he did things that he, should, he did not do, and he said things that he did not say in order that they might kill him on a cross. Jesus understands. Man, do you feel tempted more than you can handle? Jesus understands what it's like to be tempted. We see this in Matthew 4, that Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, but he did not sin. And so as I was preparing this, and as I was thinking through this, I wondered to myself, well, is there something that Jesus doesn't quite get that we go through? What is that? Well, Jesus was like us in every way, but yet he did not sin. So maybe... Just maybe Jesus doesn't understand what it is like to bear the weight of sin and guilt. Because I, I don't know about you, but I've messed up a number of times in my life. And the weight of my own sin and my own guilt is something just hard to bear, right? It's difficult to carry sometimes. It, it eats you up inside. And I thought, maybe Jesus doesn't get that. But then I was reminded of a, a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says this talking about Jesus. For, he, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And then I was reminded that Christ understands what it's like to carry the sin and the shame that we carry. Because as Jesus died for us on the cross, the sin and the shame of the world was laid upon him. The sin and the shame of the prostitute, of the thief, of the murderer, of the pedophile, of the rapist, of the drug addict. Oh man, you name the sin, it was laid upon Christ. He understands what it is like to carry sin and shame because he carried ours. But you might even say to me this morning, but Joe, man, my sin and my shame is unique. I... You just don't understand the hardships I've gone through. You don't understand the things that I've done. I've done some evil things, Joe. I am battling to carry these things. It's hard for me. You do not get it. And you're right. I don't. Because all our sin and all the shame that we carry individually is all individual. It affects us in different ways, each of us. Even if we did the same sin, our consciences are different. But the beauty of the gospel, church is that Christ didn't just die for the sins of the whole world in general, but Christ died particularly for yours. He died and took your sin and your shame and placed it on his shoulders and made it his own. While I might not be able to get what you feel like, what you have done, Jesus gets it 100% because he made yours sin his. He took your shame and placed it upon him. He understands it 100%. This is the Savior in which we get to look at. Man, how hard your trials and how hard your storms are going, we're able to look at this Savior who understands the difficulties that we go through. It's with this in mind that the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4, verses 15 um, to, uh, and 16. It says this, 
But we do not have a high priest, it's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now here comes the application of all of this that we have spoken about. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That when we look at our Savior and our, and our Jesus, our King, we see a God who understands what we go through. He understands it because He has experienced it Himself. But church, may I suggest to you that if Christ is not God then all of that doesn't matter. That, we, it doesn't, that all of that, what we've just spoken about, does not matter. Because we would have a Savior in which we look to who might be able to understand what we're going through, but if He is not God, He is unable to do anything about it. If Jesus was not able that day to be able to stand in that boat and go, peace, be still, and show that He is fully God, then we are, may as well just pack our bags and go home. Because he would not be able to intervene. He would not be able to do anything about it. But fortunately for us, Jesus did stand up in that boat that day. He did tell the winds and the seas to calm and they listened. Because he is God. We see the power of God particularly um, shown in John 1 verse 3. This passage here, it says this, talking about Jesus again. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jehovah's Witnesses will teach you that Jesus was first created and then he created everything else. That the Father first created Jesus and then Jesus created everything else. And in doing so, they take away the deity of God, because he, deity of Christ, because he never, ever was always existed. But when we look at this passage, I do not know how you get that. Through him, all things, what? All things were made. Through Jesus, without him, nothing was made that has been made. What? Nothing. That includes Christ. Nothing has been made without Jesus. Jesus has always been there. He is God. He is the creator. When he spoke, all things came into being. He is the agent of all creation. He is the one who made this universe. He is the one that holds the stars together. He is the one that keeps all the universe ticking and going. He is the one that allows nations to rise and nations to fall, rulers to rise and rulers to fall, because he is in control of it all. He holds it all together, says Colossians 1 verse 17. And so as we look to this Christ, we see a God who is capable and powerful and controller of it all. When we look at his earthly ministry, just in this previous chapter and what was going forth, in the same chapter, he healed the sick, he cast out demons. Jesus is in control. He is powerful. He is God. And so as we look to our Savior, we see a God who is able to understand the hardships that we have gone through because he has gone through it himself. But we're able to also see a God who is able to do anything that he desires to. He is capable of changing our situations. He is there with us every single step of the way. Church, this is our God. And when we are able to fix our eyes on this Jesus, when we get to know this Jesus more and more, our faith is more secure. Our faith is more solidified as we trust and know him more. And I can promise you now, guaranteed, 100 lifetime guarantee, 
that if you are able to get to know this Jesus more, every time you understand him in a new way, he'll be more wonderful, more excellent, more marvelous than he was to you before. He will blow you away each and every single time. If you're going through these storms, you're going through them. Seek this Jesus out. Pursue him wholeheartedly. Come to him. He gets it. He understands it. This is our Savior. This is our God. Faith is most secure when it is centered on who Jesus is. Faith urgently needs to know, not so much, what action this Jesus will take or what promise he has made for this or that situation as much as it needs to know who this Jesus is. Our wonderful Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that we are able to come before you. That, Lord, in, in the midst of storms, in the midst of life, in, in the seasons that go by, whether good or bad, that we are able to look to you and see a Savior who understands us, see a Savior who is able and capable of doing all things. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every single one of us this morning. Some of us are going through real tough times and some of us through real good. But I pray, Lord, for whatever season that we will be able to fix our eyes on Christ. That whatever season we're going through, Lord, that we will be able to um, have a faith that is secure. I pray, Lord, that you would speak powerfully into their situations. That they would have a sense of peace regardless of how the storms are going on about them. Lord, would you stir in us a desire to seek you more. Lord, may we be hungry and thirsty for more of you. Would you also be gracious to us, Lord, and just reveal yourself each and every single time. When we are weak, Lord, that you would show us that our strength is in you. That, Lord, when we are poor, that we will find that our, our riches are in you. That, Lord, when we are persecuted, that we will find that our comfort is in you. When we are alone and neglected, Lord, that we will find companionship in you. Help us, Lord, to be able to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower us, I pray, so that we might be able to live a life that glorifies Christ. Show Jesus more and more to us each and every single day, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.